You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn Carlisle. In this series, we are following Jesus and learning what it means to take on His yoke. We are pressing into His promise of true life. Well, good morning. Uh, I'm delighted to to be able to preach here today. Um, Thank you to James um, for allowing me this opportunity. Um, I want to start right off the bat and just acknowledge the heaviness, um, the heaviness of what's going on in our country. Um, Everyone brings in different stuff. Um, We all have baggage. Um, But in our nation, we've, you know, seen great injustices. We're dealing with a pandemic. This election is crazy. Um, And and we've worked through that in our liturgy. Thank you to James for leading us through that. That moved me. Um, But I just want to acknowledge that going in because uh, this passage is heavy. And so... Um, we bring in all our stuff, um, and, and God still convicts us in ways. Um, but I think there is good news in this passage. It's not all um, condemnation, but I just want to acknowledge the, the heaviness in this. So uh, we're continuing on in Matthew. Um, we're going to look at the parable of the wedding banquet, as Chris read for us earlier. Um, so weddings are, are fun. By a show of hands, who, who likes attending weddings? I personally love going to weddings. Weddings are fun. There's lots of food, music. Um, it's a good time. <clears throat> I also hate being in weddings. If you've ever been in a wedding, maybe you can relate. It is not as fun to be in a wedding as it is to attend a wedding. Um, but weddings are fun. There's a lot of joy. It's a celebration. Um, and, and that's what we're, we're going to be talking about today. But sometimes, maybe you've experienced a wedding, there's a little drama. Sometimes there's um, something doesn't go quite right. Um, something happens, you know, such as life, right? And so there is some drama at this wedding here that we're studying today, too. Um, and so it, uh, before we get started um, and all that, let's pray. Um, and then we'll see what God has for us here in the parable of the wedding picket. God, I thank you for um, for the message here. I thank you for... Um, this story of the wedding banquet, what it means, what you're teaching us about you and what you're teaching us about your kingdom. I pray that we would receive the truth of this word this morning, um, that you would push me aside in my words and that everyone listening, whether they're here or they're watching online, God, that you would uh, convict hearts um, and that you would lead us and draw us closer to you because of, of what you say. It's in Jesus' name. All right, so the first two verses here, I'm going to read once more. Jesus spoke to them in parables. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. So Jesus is sharing another parable. Um, we've, we've went through a couple of parables already, but just a reminder, um, a parable is a simple story with a hidden meaning, and it's told to illustrate some sort of lesson, usually moral or spiritual. So it's very similar to an allegory, if that's more familiar to you. And the audience here is likely Pharisees, the the religious leaders of the day. And this particular parable um, parallels Luke 14, 15 through 24. So it's talking about the same event. It's very similar, but it's also very unique um, in what we're looking at today. And so we'll we'll draw some comparisons to that throughout as we go along. Um, This parable does speak to Israel and the Jewish people. But the main message is to the church, to us. And so we'll, we'll look at that, but I really believe that God has something for us here today uh, with this. 
in the parable. I don't think it's a too far of a stretch to make the connection that the king represents God. I think that will become clear as we go through it, but just want to point that out at the beginning. Um, and the son represents Jesus. So in Jesus telling this story, um, telling this parable, he is making the claim that he is the son of God the Father. And that, that's a big deal. He's saying that I'm the Messiah and I'm here. He um, did this when he, during his arrival in the previous chapter. Um, James and Pastor Mo have, have talked about that in previous weeks. But he does it here in this passage simply by making that connection. Similar to weddings um, for us, weddings that we've attended or when we've got married ourselves, if you're married, weddings are announcing marriages, right? That's the point of the wedding, right? We're, we're announcing that we are now married. It's the beginning. Very much like that, Jesus is announcing his arrival. He's saying, I'm here, and he is announcing this marriage, this union with the church. So let's uh, read on and see, see what happens. In verse 3, we continue. He sent his servants to summon those invited to the banquet, but they didn't want to come. So these people were already invited, right? It says those invited. There was already an invitation before what we're talking about today. So they got to save the date, right? They knew this was coming, but they're not planning on, on attending. What, let, let's, let's kind of bring this to us. What why wouldn't someone attend a wedding? Like, I, if I get a wedding invitation, it's got to be a pretty good reason for why I'm not going. Like, I want to go. It's fun. Um, I want to go. So maybe maybe you were too busy. Maybe you put it on the fridge and you forgot about it. Maybe you had prior commitments. Maybe you don't like the king. Um, maybe you don't like the son or the bride. There may be some reason for, for why you're not attending. But it says right here why these people, why Israel... Um, didn't want to, or why they, they don't come. And it's that they didn't want to come. It, it says it plainly, they didn't want to come. So those who were invited, this is talking about Israel, um, the Jewish people, God's chosen people, and, and they're expressing their, their wishes to not come. So what does God do? How does he respond to that? Continuing in verse 4, again, he sent out other servants and said, tell those who are invited, See, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted cattle have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. So God, the king, or God, responds with grace. He sends another invitation. He doesn't put them off. He invites them again. And I think this second invitation really shows that God is ready to receive us. He says the banquet is ready. Come. Uh, I read through some parts of a commentary that by Frederick Bruner, and I think his, his notes on this really kind of caps, capture what is going on here. So I'm going to read that. Why should the king have to appeal to the rude guests at all? Why tell them that all the good gifts await them when they have demonstrated such callous indifference toward him? The biblical God seeks a rebellious people. This is the theme of the scriptures ever since the Lord called, out, called our first parents who had just eaten the forbidden fruit and were hiding from the face of the Lord. And the Lord God said, without asperity or harshness, but with great patience, where are you? God first seeks out, not wipes out, those who spite God's gift. God is gracious, right? We see that 
in, in this passage, and, and as Bruner is pointing out for us, that God is gracious. So how do they respond to the second invitation? Well, let's see. But they paid no attention and went away, one to his own farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. What? So the second invitation is rejected as well. And I think there's two groups of people here um, that we can kind of look at and draw some parallels and, and, and learn from and, and possibly relate to. So the first group that we see here is the farmers and merchants. So these are the, the business people of the day, if you will. Um, I'm going to read from Luke 14, 18 through 19, which is the par- parallel parable, and just, just to get some more from there. But without exception, they all began to make excuses This is talking about the same people. The first one said to him, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. I ask you to excuse me. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. I ask you to excuse me. So what they're doing isn't outright evil per se, right? Having jobs isn't evil. Doing your work is not evil. They're just preferring to do their busy work, right? What they're called to rather than what... God is inviting them to. So we can relate to that on some level, right? I know I can. It's easy to get caught up in our work. Um, so this, like I said, this is speaking to Israel, but, it, but it's not just for Israel. It's for us today. And, and our work, especially in American society, can really take over our lives, whatever that is for you. And the warning today is to not let our occupations become our preoccupations. When our occupations become our preoccupations, we miss out on God's invitation, just like Israel. We get caught up in our work, and we miss what God has for us. There's another group here, the the religious elites, I believe is this who this is talking about, who are just outright hostile towards God and towards his message. While these people should be welcoming the messengers with open arms, instead they kill them. And this is likely talking about the Christians of the day, uh, John the Baptist, the 12 disciples. But the idea is that they outright rejected um, and even killed the messenger. So how does God respond to this? Verse 7, the king was enraged, and he sent out his troops, killed those murderers, and burned down their city. So here we're seeing God's judgment, or the king's judgment. Israel had the privilege of attending, right? They were invited in, but their sins brought on judgment. Their sins were quite plainly killing the messengers, but also rejecting the invitation. And when we sin, whether it be Israel or us today, that demands God's justice. And that forces us to see, right? There's, there's kind of two sides of the story. There's God's divine call of grace, but it's also balanced with his sobering divine judgment of justice. So where do we find hope here? <laughs> Um, So the story isn't over. There is good news, and we're going to get to the good news. All right? So let's, let's read here from verses 8 to 10. 
Then he told his servants, the banquet is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go then to where the roads exit the city and invite everyone you find to the banquet. So those servants went out on the roads and gathered everyone they found, both evil and good. The wedding banquet was filled with guests. All right, so kind of continuing on the parallels here, the people on the outskirts of town are representing the Gentiles. That's anyone who's not Jewish, any any person that's not a part of the Jewish people. And so these people were not expecting an invitation. This was news to them that they were invited in. Have you ever been like, I don't, this hasn't happened to me, but I've heard of this happening where you, like, someone's, like, paid it forward for you, right? And you get to the, I don't know, fast food line or, like, the coffee shop and someone's already paid for your drink. Like, it's that idea, right? You, you get something that is totally unexpected and, and it's that kind of feeling. Maybe you were at a restaurant and someone paid for your bill. And so the bill comes and it's already paid for. Um, maybe you can relate to that on some level and have received something like that. But that, that's kind of what's going on here, right? They, they, they are not expecting anything, but yet they get an invitation. And another interesting thing here, and this is really the coolest part to me, is that he says, everyone you find, right? There's no limit. So he says, bring them all. Anyone you encounter, bring them in. And that is true for us today. God extends this invitation to everyone, so God is no longer just the, for the previously invited. Israel's God and Savior is now the world's God and Savior. This is a big moment in history, right? I'm going to read a couple of verses here that really walk us through this from other parts of the Bible, because this, this is um, the theme. Peter began to speak. This is from Acts 10, 34 through 35. Now I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism, but in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Romans 10, 11 through 13, for the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 4 This is good, and it pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So Jew and Gentile for us today, black and white, rich and poor, young and old, conservative and progressive, moral and immoral. It's so easy to see division, right? Especially in election season. Especially with everything we're going through with our country, with injustice and unrest. But there's no us versus them. There is only us. So who's invited? Literally everyone is invited. Whether you like them or not, whether you think they're worthy or not, whether you think they're within God's reach or not, everyone is invited to the table. And here's the best part. That includes you. So right here today, that includes me, that includes you. As sinful as we are, the invitation still stands. Jesus has the authority and power to do this. He has the power that we sung about this morning, power in the blood, right? He can do that because he is God. 
and he died for us. And he still does that today. He still extends that invitation to us today. So we may identify more with the Jewish people, especially if you've grown up in church. Maybe that resonates more with you. But we are all Gentiles. So we are all people that God has extended his grace to. And now we're the messengers, right? There's a call for his sending as well. There's a call to go out um, and, and invite people in to God's great banquet. And the really great thing is the last verse here, right? The wedding banquet was filled with guests. Like he actually did it. God is doing it, right? It's not just a prediction of what will happen. Like this is happening. The, if the story ends in our lives like it will, like it is in this parable, which I believe it will. I believe scripture teaches that it will. God does it. And the wedding banquet is filled. So everything's going to go off without a hitch, right? It's the story in here. Wrap a nice little bow on it. There is more. <clears throat> and this part, I'm going to be honest, is very uncomfortable. It's difficult. So brace yourself. But we're going to work through this. Um, this has confronted my heart this week, and, and I expect it will do the same to you. But this is God's word, and I believe he has truth for us today. Verses 11, 12. When the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who is not dressed for a wedding. He said to him, friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. This is uncomfortable, right? God is seeing this, this guest, and he's calling him out. <clears throat> he sees that the man is not properly dressed. He's looking over all the guests, and this one sticks out to him, right? The guests likely didn't know that he wasn't dressed appropriately. Maybe they did. But the important thing is that the king knew. So why, why does this matter, right? The wedding clothes represent Christ's righteousness. They represent true faith or true godly living. So this person who's not wearing the wedding clothes is a hypocrite. This is the person who's a person who's living amongst the church, but is not a part of the church. Maybe they're faithful attenders. They come every week. Maybe they're serving on the worship team. They come to your community group, but it's just a facade. <clears throat> but for God, the hypocrite sticks out like a sore thumb. I think some of us may, may have this idea of, of what, how the gospel works in that um, we, we accept the gospel, so we're in, and like at the end of life, it's going to get us into heaven. I think the gospel's bigger than that. I think the Christian life is not over just when we accept the gospel. I heard this illustration when I was in college, and it stuck with me. Um, but think of uh, a jet plane, or as my son calls it, a big plane. All right? So think of an airplane, and there's a runway. Okay? So you can view the gospel as the runway where it helps you take off, you live your life, and it brings you back home at the end. I think the gospel is like jet fuel. The gospel helps us take off, it keeps us going, and it progresses us all the way through the end until we meet Jesus. 
So this 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 is difficult, of course, but I think there there even in this inspection of of the king looking over the guests, there is something that is comforting in this. So although he sees the hypocrite, the fact that he can tell means that he knows our true hearts. And that is something that really speaks to me, um, that God sees me. God sees you. He knows your heart. He knows who you are when you're not being yourself and when no one else knows who you are. God knows you in and out. So what happens to the man who is not dressed properly? It's going to be hard again, folks. Then the king told the attendants, tie him up hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. (laughs) This is hard. God judged the hypocrite like he judged Israel. And and one thing I want to point out too, these attendants, these are not Christians, right? These are not the same people that are the messengers. These are the angels. So this is God who is doing the judging. It's not the Christian's place to do that, to throw someone into hell. That is reserved for the only person who has that authority and power, which is God. So this hypocrite was welcomed in, right? So he got the invitation. He accepted the invitation. He was there at the banquet, but he couldn't stay. A warning for us today, if this this happened to me, so I'm warning you as I'm warning myself. It's very easy to read this and see this as someone else. To see maybe your parents or your in-laws who you think, I don't know if they're actually Christians. Maybe it's people from your past. Maybe it's people in this very church. But we must be introspective and reflect our own hearts. We have to ask the question, is this me? Is this just a facade? Am I the hypocrite? That's hard. That's uncomfortable. I'm not saying that's easy. <laughs> but I believe that's, that's what we must do. The, the results of not doing that and being wrong are significantly more devastating than a little bit of uncomfortableness and self-reflection. So God has this authority and power, right? Just like he had the authority to extend grace, God has the power and the authority to judge. It seems harsh, right? It seems harsh. But he is the ultimate judge. God is the creator. Every power and authority comes from him. And his justice is perfect. His judgment is good. We don't always have a great example of that here in this earth I mean, look at what's going on in Louisville with this Breonna Taylor case, right? Where's the justice? But God is not Daniel Cameron. God is not the abusive parent who hurts you. God is not the overcorrecting spouse or roommate. God is God. And he loves us. And his judgment is good. So God has this power. And God casts out those who are not wearing the wedding garment. Again, that is what he does. Again, Bruner here from his commentary 
says, failure to seek a holy life will mean failure to enter the kingdom of God. So when we get to the end, God is going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, or he's going to say, I never knew you, depart from me. That is the reality. And this passage serves as a warning for us to analyze ourselves and to reflect on on who we really are. All right, so let's wrap wrap this up um, and get to this last verse here, and then we'll look at some some application. Verse 14, for many are invited, but few are chosen. Bit of a plot twist, right? We're reading this story. Everyone's invited. The banquet's full. He only threw out one person. But the last line here says, many are invited, but few are chosen. And if we look at history, we look at the span of Scripture, we see that. We see God's calling, very evident throughout, but few are responding. God calls to the Jewish people, but few are responding. God's calling to the Gentiles, to us, few are responding. And God's calling even to the guests, the church, and few are wearing the wedding garment. So what does that mean for us? What do we do with all of this? I know it's heavy. I warned you all that, okay? What do we do with this? Who do we resonate with here? I want, I want to ask us some questions um, as we contemplate what this means for us here today. So who do you resonate with? Is it with the Jewish people, with the farmers and merchants? Are you prioritizing self-interests over your God? Are you f- too focused on your work? to see what God has for you? Are you more like the religious, really? Are you just outright rejecting God's invitation? What, who do you resonate with? What is God inviting you to? God is inviting you to eternal life with him. I'm going to answer this question for you. Whether you grew up in church or today is your first time walking in here, This invitation is for you. Whether you expect it or not, you are welcome in the family of God. Whatever it is that you've done that you think is beyond God's forgiveness, he forgives you, and he loves you just as you are. You don't show up to the wedding, to the wedding banquet, to this feast, and have to pay a cover. You won't get a bill for your meal, All the drinks are on the house. Everything is completely paid for. Jesus extends grace upon grace upon grace upon grace to you, to all of us. What is God inviting you to? Who is God calling you to invite? Where does the road exit the city for us? Who's on the outskirts of town Who isn't expecting an invitation? Who doesn't deserve one? But God is calling you to invite them anyways. Is it the homeless person on the side of the interstate ramp? Is it the sex workers all up and down Taylor Boulevard? Is it the family members you don't get along with or vote differently than? Is it a coworker that has wronged you? Is it your neighbor? Is it your best friend? Who is God calling you 
to invite. And then the last question here, are you wearing the wedding garment? Do you care more about possessions than God? Do you deny yourself to follow Christ? Are you conformed to the world? Are you careless in conversations? Do your words hurt people? Do you love others? And do your actions reflect that? Do you love the things of the world instead of Christ? Are you consistent in your worship of God? Are you amongst the church, but not actually a part of the church? Do you profess Christ, but don't actually follow him? These are heavy questions, I know that. But we must consider them. And honestly reflect. It's easy to brush it off, I know. I've done it. But we must consider what what God is asking us. So I want to close. I'm going to read through the passage one more time with emphasizing a couple of parts. And I just want to think through some general themes that we see here uh, in an effort to encourage you and give you some hope uh, in a very weighty text and sermon. Follow along with me. um, And then uh, I'll draw some conclusions at the end. Once more, Jesus Jesus spoke to them in parables. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to summon those invited to the banquet, but they didn't want to come. Again, he sent out other servants and said, tell those who are invited, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went away, one to his own farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged, and he sent out his troops, killed those murderers, and burned down their city. Then he told his servants, the banquet is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go then to where the roads exit the city, invite everyone you find to the banquet. So those servants went out on the roads and gathered everyone they found, both evil and good. The wedding banquet was filled with guests. When the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed for a wedding. So he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him up hand and foot, throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. If you notice, God is all throughout this passage. The king or he or his, you see that. He's the only one talking. (laughs) No one else is talking, right? He's the one that's making everything happen. He filled the wedding banquet with guests. Right? draw attention to that to say that God is sovereign. God is in control and his will will be done. Another thing I noticed in reading this more generally is that God sends multiple invitations. I said it earlier, but he is ready to receive us. He said multiple times, the banquet 
is ready. Everything is ready. God pursues us. He is present and he continually calls us to live with him, to life with him. And then the last thing, God will ensure justice is done. He cannot stand for injustice. God's judgment is good and his justice is perfect. Let's pray. I'm James A.P. Fields, Jr., lead pastor at Sojourn Church Carlisle. Thanks for listening. We're a church that is rooted in the community of South Louisville, and we are seeking to advance the gospel of Christ in South Louisville and beyond. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support our ministry, visit SojournChurch.com backslash Carlisle, C-A-R-L-I-S-L-E. God bless.